this week on the Inswinger. They're literally making it up as they go, which is just so unfair on Everton, who, who did break the rules, but like I said, working with the Premier League had no idea what the punishment would be. The performance against a really good Villa team, I think there's a lot of positives. I just think you have to be perfect to beat a team like City to the title. I think it's not big just for the three points. I think it's a big momentum boost for Havertz and for Arsenal. Welcome back to the Inswinger Season 3, Episode 12. Back from our break, I'm Charlie DiMatteo, joined by... Harrison McGlashan. Uh, Harrison, we had some tasty fixtures over the Thanksgiving break. You know, the Thanksgiving meal wasn't the only tasty thing we had on the menu. There was a title clash between Liverpool and City, a, a couple great games between uh, Tottenham and Villa, uh, and it was just an overall great weekend. But I do want to start with Liverpool and City because, you know, this has been a, a rivalry that's been brewing in recent years because of the dominance of Pep and Klopp. Um... But this was a big test for Liverpool going away to City, away to the reigning champions. They went down 1-0, and then Trent with a beautiful goal to equalize 1-1, and they come away with at the Etihad with a point, and you have to say that's, that's it's a pretty positive sign given where we thought Liverpool might be this season and where City are. What were your What's your biggest takeaway from the Liverpool-City game? Yeah, I think the takeaway is it's a great result for Liverpool, I think. First of all, I thought Allison had a really poor game, really uncharacteristically poor and I think you know the goal they conceded is is a good illustration of why um, I think and, and still think they're not quite there yet defensively I thought you know you look where Ake picks up the ball off of a mistake from Allison glides past two defenders relatively easily you know Trent doesn't make that challenge and Holland is exactly where he wants to be right in between the two center backs who who aren't really on him so I do think Liverpool will hang around in the title race I think they have enough going forward where they're just going to blitz teams and they're just going to score more than their opposition, you know, most of the time. Uh, but against a team like City, who who in this day and age, you know, compared to the previous City teams we've seen, are, are really tough to beat, really tough to score against, so much more physical yeah. than, than uh, previous Pep teams. Uh, so it's a really positive result. I still haven't really changed my opinion, and I don't think they'll win it. But hey, they have a good chance. They're there mathematically. They are in the race. We yeah. have to say that. Um, but I just I wanted to point out that goal because I think it's a good illustration of why maybe they're not quite at their best defensively yet. Maybe they still have some work to go. Do they still need that that sitting midfielders to free up McAllister and protect the back four and protect mm. a guy like Trent, who we know likes to drift into midfield. So I think they've been they've been really fun to watch this season. I love the new players that have come in, Zabazalai, uh, you know, and and McAllister in in this deeper role I think has done a good job. Um, but yeah, I think are all the pieces of the puzzle there yet not quite. And like I've said before with Liverpool, I just think you have to be perfect to beat a team like City to the title and I don't think they are there yet, but listen, great result and would I be totally shocked if they if they nicked the title? No, because I think they have so much firepower. Yeah, yeah. I think for Liverpool, the big takeaway is this was a bit of a baptism of fire for all the new players like the Sabazlais, the McAllisters, who hadn't, like the Gravenberger came off the bench, who had not yet played in this kind of game against City early in the season where the pressure's on, you're away from home. 
I think they dealt with it really well. I think for the majority of the game, it was cagey, but these games at the top of the table, especially yeah. these three, these two teams, they usually are cagey. Yeah, that City-Arsenal game was cagey yeah. as well. So to find that bit of quality from a guy like Trent, who hasn't always you know, been at his best the last kind of 18 months or so, but he's really thriving in this new role. So in terms of looking at Liverpool as adapting their style and adapting roles for their new players and existing players like Trent, I think is a massive sign, uh, a positive sign for them. As for City, mm. I think De Bruyne being out is slowly showing its head, rearing its ugly head, because I think the way they utilize Holland and Alvarez is very direct, and it's more direct in terms of their passing than I think we've seen in recent years, and part of that is down to De Bruyne being out, part of that is being down to Jeremy Doku coming in, with it, it, in his nature is very direct in his play, and I think Liverpool were able to deal with him a bit easier than they had done in easier years because of the way Pep has catered his style to Holland. Now, mm. that being said, Holland got the goal, and when De Bruyne is there, it's a different kind of directness because there's nothing you can do about the it's balls he plays and the finishes Holland can pull off. So, with that being said, I don't think it's a bad result for City. I just think. You have to hope De Bruyne is back by the next time. I don't know the next time they play Liverpool or maybe play Arsenal, but you, you want to have him back for those games because yeah. now you you lost to Arsenal and you didn't beat Liverpool at home. So while we're all saying you know City could walk this league, Arsenal are in front now. Yeah. I want to get into them, but I'm not totally all in on City without De Bruyne. With De Bruyne, yes. I think it's a different story. I think this is the season and this is the t- period in the season where you know, yet if you're Arsenal, you're looking at say, okay, like we need to. We need to do our bit now. We need to stay on top. We need to accrue as many points as possible. And we can't slip up because they have, City do have injury problems. You know, uh, know, uh, Nunes and Kovacic were out. De Bruyne, obviously. I think, think, yeah, you're right. When when De Bruyne is not in the team, you lose that unpredictability of his, like, he could just play any ball, right? He could, I mean, you don't know where it's going when De Bruyne is on the pitch. I think Doku is really interesting because he's a, different type of winger yeah. you know we're used to seeing Mares and Grealish and players like that who will just maybe put their foot on the ball and show that bit of bit of trickery come inside Doku is more direct uh he's got more pace yeah he's just he, he, he caused Trent I thought so many problems just getting to the byline whipping it across I think utilizing that is going to be key for them and, and they've done it quite well it didn't really come off for them against Liverpool but you could see the idea there and that's going to hurt a lot of teams so I think Doku, he just offers something they don't really have. Uh, he's just so good at taking on defenders one-on-one. Yeah. On one. Just a quick word on Doku. I think Jeremy Doku has shown up Jack Grealish. Because Jack Grealish, I mean, people— he can't get in the team. He can't get in the team. And people were making excuses for him in his first season. Saying, oh, it's Pep style. It's not the way he plays. And it's like, he spent $100 million on Grealish. He spent half of that on Doku. And I'm sorry, but Doku looks 10 times the player— under Pep. It's just, there's this element of danger, like you said. He's so direct and causes fullback so many issues that I just don't think Grealish poses. And if you're Jack Grealish now, I think, you know, you got your title. You won the treble. This is why you moved away from Villa. You have the silver right now. But serious questions need to be asked about his long-term future at City, I think. Because think so? I don't yeah. know if the hundred million pound man, England International, is happy with being a rotational player. He Maybe probably not. wants to be the he wanted to be the next Sterling, but if anything, Doku looks like the, the Sterling replacement long term. You know, I, 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 yes, I, I would say caveat to that. You know, when you're playing across four different competitions, you need yep, depth. That's true, and I, I think he will. I think come the end of the season, we will look back and say, I think Gr- Grealish sort of grew into it a little bit. Yeah. I do think he will. I don't think he's going to be on the bench every single game. 
uh, because they're going to want to go deep in, in all the competitions. I know they're out of the, the Carabao Cup now, but Champions League, Premier League, there, there are minutes to be had there. But I do think you're right. He, he's, I'm sure he's looking at Doku th- you know, and being a bit nervous because he was one of the first names on the team sheet last yeah. year. It was like Champions League final, Grealish on the left. Right. No questions asked. And it was Foden and Bernardo, sort of who's going right. to play on the right, at, or Mares. So, yeah, his place certainly isn't cemented in this, in this team, and I'm sure he's, he's thinking about that. And then just let's get a quick word in um, on Arsenal. I think Arsenal have slowly but surely flown under the radar and now sit top of the Premier League table. And of all people, it's Kai Havertz popping up with a big goal. And you have to say, you know, when we had been having conversations about Arsenal and the title chances, we said if they're more catered to grinding out results than necessarily blowing teams away, it's probably more sustainable across 38 games. And here it is again against... Brentford, a tough team away from home, a team you've, you've struggled against, actually, in recent history. And all of a sudden, the signing that so many people questioned popped up with the winning goal. I think it's not big just for the three points. I think it's a big momentum boost for Havertz and for Arsenal. I think this is a big result. And given the way Liverpool took City and Liverpool and City took points off each other, this could be a big weekend in the title race, I think, yeah. for Arsenal. I think Arteta will be ecstatic that his, his new signing, who he's backed and yeah. continued to back, popped up with the winner. I think... You know, we, we've seen this sort of result from them before, right, this season. It hasn't been pretty, right? but they've grinded it out and, and got it done. And I think that's an important characteristic that any championship-winning team has to have. Now, am I a little concerned that this is unsustainable and they can't just keep nicking it? Yeah. A, a little bit. But like you said, Brentford is a place where they have struggled. It's not an easy place to go. They keep it really tight at the back, yeah. narrow, hard to break down. So... I think any if any sort of three points you take in this fixture, but I am still waiting for Arsenal to really get going Quick and, and year, clicking, yeah. uh, you know, offensively. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to what has you know really been the talking point of the last you know ten days or so. We weren't here for it, but Everton deducted ten points. I know you have a lot of thoughts on it. I'll share mine after. Yeah. You give your verdict. But what is just the sentiment around this decision, mm. around the history of the decision, and where it leaves your team? Yeah, uh, there, there's a lot to break down here. Uh, so much frustration, as as was clear at the weekend with the with the fan protests. Uh, I think the bottom line is the punishment does not fit the crime. Yeah. Yes, Everton are guilty of exceeding their allowed amount of losses by 19.5 million, which, mm. you know, doesn't really sound like that much. Uh, but it does breach the Premier League's, you know, province sustainability rules. But getting 10 points deducted from that one breach is just, it, it's outrageous. You know, I mean, I think it's important to add some context. So Everton have known that they've been in trouble for a while. And, and in my opinion, the board and the owner are partly to blame for, for getting us into this mess. There's no doubt about that. We have spent stupid money in the past. Um, you know, but Everton have been working with the Premier League since they realized they were in trouble to avoid getting into further trouble. So uh, I think it's important to say this idea that we kept spending on players and and dug ourselves further and further into a hole is just nonsense. Mm. Because if you look at the net spend table over the last five years with with the current teams, Everton sit 18th, meaning we've spent the third least amount of money when, right. you, when you factor in sales from selling players. So, which and, is crucial in right 
in, in balancing the books. And it's the, it's the net loss. It's exactly. not just what you're spending. Exactly. And in the past three years, we've actually had a positive net spend right. in terms of transfers. So it's not like we're seeing these enormous losses in the transfer market every single year and getting a sporting advantage, quote unquote, which is the reason why you, you dock a team because they've had a sporting advantage. No, that, that that's just not the case. It's quite false for me. So what's killed us has, has been a number of factors. First of all, building a new stadium, yeah. which nobody seems to mention, by the way, when you when you in the media. Like I, uh, It seems like over, only Everton fans have realized that, oh, wait, yeah, building a new stadium really costs money. That's why we're in such a big hole. Uh, the war in Russia-Ukraine and, and COVID, th those are three huge factors. Everton lost Megafon as a sponsor because it's Uzbrunov's right. uh, company and his assets were frozen because he's close to Putin. Um, you know, so thanks, Mashiri, for getting us involved with Uzmov, but, you know, that's a huge factor. You're losing a big sponsor, so that's a huge loss of revenue for the club. And then building a stadium obviously costs a lot of money. Uh, so I, I just felt like I needed to put that out there, why we are in this mess. Yeah. It is not because we keep spending $50 million on players. Like, we had to sell with Charleston uh, for a slightly lower fee than maybe we would have liked. So it's just, it, it, that's that's one thing. Another thing is, and, and this is where sort of the, the corruption comes into it and why Everton fans are, are extremely frustrated. If you look at the independent commission yeah. who was on there, Nick Ego, who, who was the director uh, of finance at West Ham yeah. during the Tevez. Carlos Tevez debacle, yeah. how is he qualified to, to decide our, our fate here when, you know, so if you don't know the Tevez thing, the Everton were, or sorry, West Ham were found guilty of gaining a sporting advantage yeah. uh, when Tevez, who was illegally registered, scored uh, a goal that helped relegate Sheffield United. So that, <laughs> what's he doing on and there? We were, and we were fined, I think, like 30 million pounds. Yeah. We were not docked points. Right. We ended up getting relegated, like, I think two seasons later. But, yeah, for him, for that guy to be, it, it, it's ironic. It's it's a little yeah. laughable it is. that he's on the board. For it's that. laughable. And this is the Premier League we're talking about. This is a huge decision, and this guy's on. David Phillips, who is not only a member of the FA judicial panel, but the M FA Premier League panel. So he, that there's a there's a bias there. And he, uh, even further, he represented Leeds United, mm -hmm. who are trying to sue Everton now. Yeah. And in a separate ruling, he decided that Everton, should Everton be found guilty, which we were, uh, Burnley, Leicester, Southampton, Forest, and Leeds could claim compensation, which they're not trying to do. So that is really, really fishy. So, I mean, listen, the problem with the punishment is just... It, it's so clear to me. The Premier League is trying to lay a marker down, and they're trying to make an example of Everton, and they're trying to show uh, the league and, and maybe UEFA that, hey, we're, we're coming down hard on this. They recommended a 12-point deduction, and the three-man commission came to the conclusion that 10 is, is the right punishment. So where does that come from? Where's yeah. the 10 points? There's no guideline. They're literally... Just making it up as they go along. Making it up as they go, which is just so unfair on Everton, who, who did break the rules, but like I said, working with the Premier League, had no idea what the punishment would be. No idea. How, there was no. There are no guidelines. The only guideline we have, which apparently is irrelevant, is Portsmouth getting docked nine points for going into administration. Right. <laughs> Everton, on the other hand, lose not even 20 million pounds more than they were supposed to over a three-year period and are docked 10 points because the Premier League has these new rules, n no they don't, <laughs> where they feel the need to crack down on profit and sustainability. I mean, it's just, it makes no sense where they got the 10 points from and it's just so harsh. It punishes the fans and the players and the coaching staff who have done nothing wrong. And it's just, for me, it's just not the right way to go about punishing a club that's building a new stadium, 
uh, and desperately trying to keep its books tight post-COVID and, and post the war in Russia, Ukraine. Uh, you know, and, and then you've got Mashiri, who, who got us into this mess in part uh, with his lack of planning when he took over, is totally checked out, and yeah. he's just going to walk away from the club uh, when he sells it with, with not even a slap on the wrist. Meanwhile, uh, you know, the, the, the interim board and, and the players and the coaching staff have to, have to face the consequences. It, it's a disgrace. And this is why you're seeing several members of parliament and other government officials getting involved. It just shows how unjust and unfair the, the Premier League... Uh, the Premier League's punishment is. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. And I, I think my my biggest issue with all of this is given what we've seen happen with Man City, it just reeks of if your pockets are that little bit deeper and you can fight out a legal battle a little bit longer than the little guy can, you can get away from this. Because look what happened with Man City. They were meant to be banned from the Champions League because of financial misplay, which we all know City have a suspect history with given where their money comes from and how they spend it and the lack of commercial revenue that the brand Manchester City holds. They won that legal battle because they had bigger lawyers than UEFA. And you know what? These 115 charges that are hanging over their head from the Premier League, I'm willing to bet you they've got bigger lawyers than the Premier League do. And unfortunately for Everton, with this new stadium and with the loss of revenue due to the war in Ukraine and with uh, COVID, not only did they probably not have the money to, to, to deal with this legally before all of that, they definitely don't now. So what this seems like is the Premier League is wary of the Newcastles of the world and the Man Cities of the world, which if you want to implement rules about sports washing and, and, and misuse of money, those are the teams who are gaining sporting advantages. I mean, for Christ's sake, if you just use your brain, how much of an advantage could Everton have gotten? They've been in a, a relegation battle for the past three years. It's ironic. It's ironic. So, so if you're the Premier League, I think if this is what you do to Everton, I'm expecting Man City to be docked hundreds of millions of pounds, stripped of their titles, and relegated to yeah. League Two. Because it seems like... With 115 charges, they're guilty of something. Yeah. And if 20 million pounds correlates to 10 million, 10 God knows. Yeah. 10 points, sorry. What is Man City going to do? Yeah. Man City have been spending hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds summer after summer for the last 15 years. What, what does that equal? And then what you have a big issue because now you have Pep coming out and saying, oh, we're innocent, we're innocent, you know, innocent pro until proven guilty. It's like, it all seems like this happened with Everton fairly quickly relative yeah. to, like, if this if this is coming out of It was Everton, one charge. That's probably why. One charge compared to Man City's 115. I can't wait to see what happens. I mean, what is, where is this going to lead? And if it, it, I'll tell you this, if it doesn't end in substantial punishment, or, like, I, you can't tell me Man City are, are, are wrong, are, are clear of any wrongdoing. Because you don't get 115 charges unless you did something wrong. It's so whether you're whether you're charged with every single one of them, different story. But it seems like something went down with Man City, and we knew it was happening. And because of it, they are able to become the best team in the world. And when Everton, a team who have been facing relegation for three years, are punished 10 points, yeah. you expect something heavy. For being with Man honest City. and going over it with the Premier League and just trying to scrape by. Meanwhile, you've got City who. And from all accounts, it seems like they're, they're their being books evasive. Are, they're evasive. Their books are are shady. Yeah. Where have they gotten money from? Yeah. Man, I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah. I, I really. I, it's. Oh man, it, it's a really. It's it's very troubling where we're at right now with the Premier League, from from VAR all the way to the top, and Richard Masters is running this 
SHIT show <laughs> that we call a league. It, it's it's a shambles. It's it's really it's it's in really bad place. I think, and I think, I think you have to bring in independent regulation. Right, and that's something Gary ne- Gary Neville's been talking about for you know not for like the last five or seven years for a while. Yeah, I mean, it, look at the <laughs> look at the Super League clubs. They went and tried to destroy yeah. everything we've built, and they got a slap they on got the wrist. Nothing. They got nothing. Not even a slap on the wrist. They got no- nothing it was, happened. It was like twenty million between the six of them. Yeah, a fine. Nothing. We got docked ten points right. for building a new stadium. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. But moving on to Everton on the pitch. Yeah, there was a real atmosphere at Goodison. Uh, that maybe this would unite, you know, the the team and the fans. And unfortunately for you guys, a, a top five Premier League goal ever <laughs> happened inside three minutes to kill the atmosphere. It's like you can't really write that. <laughs> it's so Everton. Man. It is. It's, yeah. it's crazy. It it wasn't a three nil game. No, it really wasn't. United started the game well. I thought it, it was probably the best I've seen them play for about fifteen minutes. And when that first goal went in, I mean. I just had a bad feeling it wasn't going to yeah. be our day. You know, I mean, that was just absolutely extraordinary. You got to hold your hands up and just say, "Wow!" And, and it took the sting out of the crowd a little bit, as as it would. I mean, just it, it was unbelievable. Uh, I thought I thought the fans were brilliant. Everton had a and Everton had a really good spell for a large part of that first half and had plenty of opportunities. I think XG had it at two point five. Yeah, there were chances, uh, and, and there were plenty of opportunities in that second half as well. Aside from the fact. That we just didn't take our chances, which I, I've said so many times before. That that was, uh, you know, aside from a bit of unluckiness uh, on the other end of the pitch with with the bicycle kick, um, you know, that's really the only thing I can complain about. Aside from Ash, Ashley Young, yeah, I, you I, I can't I can't stand him at the moment, man. He, I, listen, he's thirty eight or something. Like he's let us down again with with that challenge on Martial. What are you doing? You're not using your experience. Everybody's like, oh, he's gonna use his experience. When these players come in, you know, oh, Tiago Silva's experience. Ashley Young, Ashley Young has not used any experience. Okay, he looks like he's 19 out there. He's just sticking a leg out in the penalty area. I mean, just ah, oh, so frustrating. And then the third goal, it, it's really just one of those. We're pushing for a goal, and, and they and they counterattack and score. It was a good goal. And Martial always scores against Everton. Yeah, hasn't Every scored in months. Single time. Hasn't scored in months. You, you could does. bet on it. So it, it's just, I do think if Garnacho doesn't score, you know, one of the best goals I've ever seen, I think the game ends up going in a slightly different yeah. direction. I really do. I think Everton build on the momentum, uh, continue to grow in that game, and and you know maybe get to halftime nil nil, and then it's a different story. You know, I don't know. Um, you know, we, we, we created more chances than them. I, I mean, that's the bottom line. So it, it's, it's unlucky. It really is. But you know what? There, there are positives to look at here. And, and if, we're, if we have our 10 points, I'm not as concerned because, yeah. you know, we're, we're comfortably 14th or something. But every fixture matters now, which is just it's, it's really deflating. I really hope the players don't get discouraged. I don't, I don't think they will. I, I think I, I've seen enough from that performance to say, Okay, it, it's the they same. They kept going, yeah. They kept going, and it's the same game plan. Like we, you know, we know we know what we have to do, and and I trust Dyche to to continue to get good output out of them. Uh, it was so at the end of the day, it was it was just one of those days, and we could talk about Man United too. I thought all of a sudden they're kind of an informed team. I don't know. Somehow. I don't know how uh, yeah. because it, it's funny. It, they're. I mean, we kind of talked about this before. They're they're bottom of the Champions League group, league group which seems about right. And then in the in the Premier League, they're yeah. they're a few points off fourth. Just seems like they're nicking games. It's it's strange. And this was the only game they won by more than a a, a one goal margin. Yeah, all year. So very very strange. I thought they played well in the first fifteen minutes, but you know beyond that, I thought I thought Everton 
could have had them really, uh, but they were they were clinical. So so fair enough. But um, I thought Kobe Minu, I, I thought he was excellent. You went off injured I, though. I think he I think he was. I know it's this disappointing there, but I think he was. He's been better than than Amrabat and Casemiro. He's kind of a missing season. piece, yeah. which is like your gold, like knight in shining armor. United need a, a calm, steady defensive midfielder. Oh, here's one yeah. homegrown, great. And the United fans were looking forward to Minu in preseason, but he got injured, and then he was pictured in the boot after the game. So. You know, you're hoping yeah. it's not. I mean, because you, when you're that young, playing defensive midfield, it is physically taxing. Looks so calm on the ball. Yeah, that's a, yeah. that's the biggest thing. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Spurs and Villa because this was a really exciting, entertaining game. Um, Spurs are threadbare when it comes to injuries. Their defensive pairing right now is Ben Davis and Emerson Royale, and yet they still played an exciting, attacking brand of football. They went one nil up against Villa. But Villa are a damn good team, and Ollie Watkins and his boys rallied the troops, and they came away with a 2-1 victory. Sun had, like, three goals disallowed, but Spurs played, still played some brilliant stuff, and on paper, you're going to look at it and say, wow, they've lost three on the spin, not great, but you look at all the injuries they've had and the performance against a really good Villa team, I think there's a lot of positives to take away from this game. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, when you're playing a midfield three of Bentecourt, who, who's just come back and now is injured again. Yeah, for, and it looks like that's like February. dreadful. Lo Celso and, you know, Brian Hill was in there. It, it's, you know, totally different team. Yeah. The spine of the team is, is all but gone, really. So, um, yeah, they started the game really well. I thought they, listen, I thought they created plenty of chances to, to win that game. Uh, I mean, Adagi should have scored and Kulisevsky hit the post inside of five minutes. Yeah. So they created just so many chances. And Lo Celso finally put one in. I think he could be a, a useful player for I them think he in can. the middle. I yeah. think under Postacoglu, I, I've always liked him, but felt as though he hasn't really been unlocked in, in a Spurs shirt. Uh, so I, I think if he, I think off the bench, maybe when you're fully fit or in that sort of SAR role, uh, maybe even the Madison role further forward, I think he can be useful for them. But, yeah, I mean, they can see the set-piece goal. Uh, I think, you know, Ben Davis I, I just doesn't have the physicality to put off Pau no. Torres, really. Um, it, it's a good header from Torres, but you wonder if Van de Ven or Romero let that happen. Uh, so, you know, similar to Everton, really, they continued to create, but uh, after conceding the second, it, it, you know, it just wasn't their day, I think. Yeah, I'm still hopeful on Spurs, and I think they are a genuine top-four contender. I mean, yeah. It seems pretty quickly the discussion has shifted from potential title contenders, but I do think when you lose the likes of Van de Ven and Madison, that, that that's what happens because those are the two guys who are really making them tick week in, week out. And if they're not there, you're relying on players who haven't really done it consistently in the Premier League before. And a quick word on Villa. I just think mm. Villa are also top four contenders, legitimately. I think they are in the Conference League. Maybe that will catch up with them at some point. But I think they have bits and pieces of depth in midfield with the likes of Tielemans and Douglas Louise and Kamara and, and McGinn. They're really strong in that department going forward. They've got players. Watkins is legitimately a great Premier League goal scorer. Diaby has you know come in and slotted in perfectly. Pau Torres got a goal. He looks great at the back. Yep. Their center backs are fit. Emmy Martin. Diego Carlos, Enrique yeah, Emmy Martinez just one goalkeeper yeah. of the year. It's like there's nothing holding them back from finishing the top four and maybe getting silverware this year in the Conference League. Like who is maybe a team that drops down from the Europa League could could take it from them. But it, it really promising signs from Emery and Villa. And I think Unai Emery has been able to finally just 
truly imprint his identity on a club in a way he hasn't really, other than Villarreal, since his Sevilla days. He wasn't able to do mm. it at PSG, wasn't really able to do it at Arsenal, but now at Villa, with the money, right money spent, yeah. right players brought in, they're, they're a well-oiled machine. It's um, his team. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think I didn't think they were at their best, but it was a good away performance against a really, really good team. And I thought that second goal was brilliantly worked. Yeah. And, and Ollie Watkins, again, what a season he's having. You know, Royale just can't get there in time to put him off. It's a great striker's great goal. Yeah. It really is. I thought after that they got better and better and, and saw the game out. Uh, so, listen, when you have a guy like Ollie Watkins up front, you don't need many chances. No. They were they were clinical, and, and that was the difference between the two teams. Yeah, it was a great game, though. Great game for the neutral. Yeah. That's what I'd say. All right, uh, we're going to move on to a couple more games, I think. Uh, first, West Ham traveled to Burnley. Poor Burnley. I mean, they hadn't picked up <laughs> a point at home all year, and it looked like they were cruising to three points. They were probably the better team in the first half. They got a penalty in the early in the second half, slotted away uh, by Jay Rodriguez, who seemingly has been at Burnley since the dawn Dude. of time. He's still, <laughs> I can't believe he's still, still around. kicking around there. They went 1-0 up. We were terrible. I don't know what Moy said to him at halftime. We had this knack of conceding right out of halftime, and it's just so aggravating. Didn't look like we were doing anything. Danny Ings was playing up front because Bowen and Antonio were injured. We've got this young kid, Divin, uh, Divine Mubama, who the fans have been yeah. calling for. Came on the 63rd minute, just offered something in our style of play. Poor kid. He, he thought he scored a goal in the Europa League last year, Conference League, and it was chalked as an own goal. Thought he got another one at, against Burnley, chalked down as an own goal. But <laughs> he just kind of gets in good areas and makes stuff happen. Um, so he came on. Kudus. Two assists in five minutes in the 80th minute and the 93rd minute. He's kind of been everything West Ham fans hoped he would be. And when you play for a team like West Ham, you have to be direct. And Mohamed Kudus is so direct. He's so threatening. Every time he gets the ball, the ball he whipped in for Suchek at the end was world class. It had pace. It had whip. It had everything on it. Just beat the Berlin defense. And you have to give a shout out to Suchek, who's been in great form this season, scoring goals at crucial moments. Back-to-back games now. Scored a late winner against Forrest at home, late winner against Burnley. And all of a sudden, we're back into the top half of the table comfortably, sitting in eighth, well clear of the relegation zone. You win your next two games, you'd be level on points with Spurs. We host Fulham next. And all of a sudden, you've got some real momentum built up. You've got Europe midweek. But... It's not that simple because we were quite poor for the majority of the game. And had that game gone a little differently, we'd be having a much different conversation. But we're not. It's a results-based business. And I think West Ham can start to kind of build consistency as long as these guys stay fit. I think Bowen will be back soon. I don't think he's going to play in Europe on Thursday. But he should be back for the Fulham game. Picked up that injury um, on international duty with England. Uh, But I think with Moyes and West Ham, the story is stability. Um, I think for the longest time, that's been the question at West Ham. Who can make them a a stable club? Because it's looked like at times we were a bit too eager to make the jump to try to be a top six club and the money we were spending and the managers were trying to get in. But it seems like Moyes is the true fit. Some fans aren't happy. I don't think the board is necessarily completely sold on him. That's why he's... His contract will be run down. Whether he gets a new one is up for debate, but they haven't renewed it because uh, yeah. we will go on streaks like we did in October where we just didn't win a game and we're poor. So that's still in the back of their minds, I think. But yeah. a good three points and an opportunity now to build on it with two huge London derbies coming up before the busy period and a real turning point now in our season, I think. Um, and then 
The other game I want to talk about, I don't know if you want to discuss Forrest and mm. Brighton. Forrest's yeah. been a really good team at home this year, cracking five-goal thriller against the Brighton team, who I think not a lot of people are talking about how many injuries Brighton have. Their squad is really depleted. If you look at their bench, a lot of kids on their bench, but they came through 3-2, away win, Deserby and his boys, big three points on the road. Yeah, they needed that. The city ground is not an easy place to go. Uh, you could see what it meant to Deserby yeah. after after the game, the full-time scenes. Uh, I think, again, Evan Ferguson, man, what a cool, perfectly placed finish that was. I I, I just love this guy. Every every time I see him, I, I like him more and more. I think Deserby is managing him so well, and he's just going to get better and better, and Ireland have to be buzzing that they've got him locked up uh, in their ranks. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jao Pedro, again, came off the bench with a great headed goal and a penalty. They, they've got quality up front. And uh, I thought Lewis Dunk, the skipper, stupid to get sent off there with the second yellow. But yeah. listen, they knuckled down. They saw it out. They won in a way that maybe they, they don't love to win in. We know Brighton liked to play that free-flowing free uh, football. But they had to knuckle down and, and, and see it out with 10 men, which they did. So, yeah, big win. I think for Forrest, uh, I think, first of all, that Awanee injury is huge for them. Yeah. Really, really unfortunate for Forrest. Alanga again with another goal inside three minutes. And it's my under-the-radar boy, Gibbs White, with the assist. Yeah, yeah. So much of what Forrest does goes through him on that right side. I thought he was excellent again. He's probably man of the match for, for Forrest. Scored the penalty as well. So, yeah, I mean, listen, Forrest, unlucky. Uh, you know, th I think they'll be comfortable, really, this season yeah. for us. I, I think they'll be fine in that sort of lower mid-table. And for Brighton, yeah, I think I think the injuries are hurting them a little bit. I think they've slipped to the back of the pack a little bit. I think they'll be battling uh, outside of the top four, really. I think they're they're more in that five to seven range with, you know, your, your likes of Chelsea, maybe. Uh, you know, New I mean, I would say Newcastle probably have the edge over them, but they're, they're in and around that conversation. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, unfortunately for them, the top four looks a bit out of reach, uh, especially with the injuries. But, again, I mean, you know, starting with a double pivot of Billy Gilmore and, and Pascal Gross, I just – it's you, – you love to see it. Yeah. You know, it's just it's, – it's, it's who Brighton are, and it, they're, they're fun to watch. Yeah. I think for Forrest, it's such a shame about the Awani in, uh, injury because for a team like Forrest to have a goal scorer who can get you that 10 to 15 goals, it really is the difference between 15th and 10th or yeah. 9th. And I think with Steve Cooper and the quality they brought in over the summer, it could have been a really positive season. But, you know, you go without Awani for a few months and all of a sudden— Chris Wood. Back-to-back game. Well, back, yeah, Chris Wood in now, who's not awful. He's a serviceable yeah. bottom half of the table striker, and yeah. you really want a top half of the table striker in a one-year. But all of a sudden, these these games now turn these back-to-back 3-2 losses, which might have turned differently. I know a one-year scored against West Ham. But, like, this game against Brighton, without a one-year, maybe you, you nick a point or a win, and that adds up over time. I think it's a big shame about him because I would have loved to see what they did. And I think you said – at best in Brighton. I don't think they're going to be competing in and around the top four like maybe we thought at the beginning of the season. Injuries have a part to play. I think being in the Europa League is a part to play. And I think for your Brighton, you do want to prioritize Europa because this is yeah. you don't get this opportunity very often, especially the way how competitive the Prem is now. And for your fans, you want to experience as many away days as possible. You want to get into knockout football. Uh, if they don't advance in the Europa League, though, I think they should be able to drop down to the Conference League. That'd be a great opportunity for them. All of a sudden, Huge. Brighton and Villa probably become the favorites of that. Um, so, yeah, like you said, lots of good things coming from Brighton uh, and their style of play, which really has to be chalked down to deserve being the job he's done. 
All right, uh, that's going to do it this week. Next week, we've got a special guest, Aton Rosen, Patriot League Offensive Player of the Year and Tournament MVP, is going to be joining us in the studio, so watch out for that one uh, next Monday. We might be dropping that a uh, little later. We might also have an extra episode, so it could be a double episode a week if you're lucky. Uh, Big couple of weeks for the in-swinger boys. Yeah, and then we'll be hitting the road across On the, the road. pond. Watch out for the in-swinger content. We're going to be going to games in London from January to April, uh, up and down the UK, maybe across Europe too, if we're lucky. Um, so be looking out for that content on the TikTok. I think we're definitely going to try to get some vlogs up of us at games, and we'll keep the podcast rolling out. So exciting times from the in-swinger gang. Uh, until next time, thank you for listening.